Welcome back to Owned and Operated, where we dive deep into the businesses we own, the businesses we are acquiring, and we also bring on guests to talk about their operating struggles. If you like what you hear today, follow John and Brandon on Twitter. That's John at Wilson Companies and Brandon at Brandon Niro. Also, check out our weekly newsletter where we teach you how to be an effective operator. You can sign up by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by visiting ownedandoperated.com. That's ownedandoperated.com. Check it out. Okay, we are back with Quinn Miller. If you're unfamiliar with Quinn, he makes $10,000 profit per month simply owning and restocking vending machines. We get into the nitty gritty of how his business operates, from how he sources machines and the maintenance that's required on them, to how Quinn sells new locations and what makes his operation the most profitable in San Diego. The vending machine business is one of the most accessible and actionable side hustles there is, and today you'll learn everything you need to know to get started and scale. Enjoy. If you listen to our show, you know that we can spend months sourcing businesses, talking with them, negotiating LOIs, conducting due diligence, all for a deal to fall through at the finish line. MicroAcquire solves that whole problem, whether you're buying or selling a business. As a seller, you're getting introduced to over 50,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. As a buyer, you get to sort through profitable, vetted sellers and close in 30 days. We don't own any digital businesses yet, but over the next year, we're intending to grab a couple, and MicroAcquire is going to be our choice for a sourcing platform. Welcome back to Owned and Operated. Today, we have Quinn Miller with us from Blue Agave Vending. Welcome, Quinn. What's up, guys? How's it going? Good. Super good. good. I'm ready to talk vending machines. <laughs> Quick reminder for the listener, if you're into what we're dropping, check out ownedandoperated.com. Give us a five-star review on wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. We have a new newsletter coming out, so that's been good. Like, I think the first one came out yesterday. Yep. It was good. Yeah, Rand did a good job. Nice job, Rand. Okay, so we're here to talk about vending. I'm pumped up about this. I think you blew the world up like two weeks ago (laughs) with my first million. So how about you give us like a 60 second intro to to what got you into vending and and what you're up to now? Yeah, for sure. So I come from a software sales background right out of college. I was working at tech startups where I was making cold calls all all the time. made some decent money early on. And and so I I purchased a home in, in, in San Diego, a rental property. It ended up being quite expensive as you know, people know San Diego is expensive. California in general is expensive. And so I invested a lot of capital into it, renovated it, and the cash flow wasn't that great, only making about 700 bucks a month, right? And in, in regards to like net income from that rental property. So I had that for a little bit, and then I moved up the sales rank and stuff like that, started making some more money, and then the recession hit, right? And I was working with people that selling advertising technology to people where their stores were closed, right? I was selling to like Fortune 500s, and then some a little bit smaller company called Bolero. They had about 300 bowling lanes their business shut down. So it's like, in my mind, like, Hey, if I'm the CMO of this company, why would I buy this kid's million dollar solution a year when my stores aren't even open? Right. So I saw that. And personally, I I was not bullish on the economy. I thought things were going to regress a little bit. So I was looking for alternative things where I didn't have to invest so much. And then I can create, you know, some solid cash flow and, and own the business. 
I got on Twitter, saw other people doing it, which I didn't feel like they had the same sales background as me. So they were doing really well. So I was like, oh, let me try it out. And I just picked up the phone. Very first location was my buddy's mechanic shop. They didn't do that great. But what I found out was I only had to stock the machine one time in like three months. Okay. So really what I was looking for, cause I have a lot of crazy ideas in my head was something that's recession proof, not a lot of money to enter, but can make some pretty solid cash flow. And then, you know, go against a lot of operators where it's, you know, not too tough. You know, I can come in and use that sales experience and, and start to win up quite a bit of business. So those are some of the key factors that I saw early on that motivated me to, you know, essentially dive all in on vending. Yeah. So just for some perspective before we dive like way deeper into that, how many yeah. locations or how do you, what's the metric? Is it locations or machines? Yeah. So, so it is locations. I, I got to look at my, my exact number on, on my ride. I should know that number, but I have 30 machines. I have 30 machines and it, I think it's at like maybe 50, I'd say like 15 or 16. I got to look and, but I, I can update you guys at the end. But yeah. So I have 30 machines currently. My goal always was just to have like 20 <laughs> business crew. So right now I'm kind of trying to offload a couple of my locations and then I'll, I'll grow again a little bit more, but that's kind of where I'm at currently. Is 20 like critical mass or, or why, why, why was that the goal? It's not critical mass. It's just that, like I said, I, I have other ideas in my head, right? Like vending, like it allows, it, it allows like me not to focus on it all the time. Like I can still have the business and do other things. So I always felt that like, Hey, if I could just have 20 really solid machines doing a lot of income, like that would be my number. You know, obviously it's changed up a little bit and the business has grown. So I'll just hire people to be able to take that on. That, that's kind of my thinking. All right, cool. I'm into that. All right. So the first location you said it was in your buddy's, like a car mechanic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a mechanic shop. So this one's actually pretty funny. So there's maybe like 12 employees. Right. And this is like, I want to say like March or so, like, so pandemic was like coming. People are still like going into their shop. But yeah, so I, I put the machine there. He's like, dude, this one will crush, right? Like these guys drink like five monsters a day. Nice. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Like this is going to be sweet, right? So I get this machine set up. I bought the machine off Craigslist. Funny story there as well. I met the guy, the guy that I bought the machine off. He ended up becoming my mentor. He had a route with like 1600 machines up in Palm Springs. So he was like a really solid source for all the stuff. That's kind of how I've been able to accelerate so quickly. But anyways, yeah, place that machine. Is only doing about 75 bucks a month. Like if that, like maybe like 50, honestly. Is that gross sales or cash flow? Yeah, literally just gross sales. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So not a lot at all. <laughs> but what it taught me was like, hey, the machine held like four, 500 drinks in there. Right. So I only had to go one time. Right. And like for all those months. Right. So it took me like 30, 45 minutes just to stock that machine up. And then I never had to go back again because, you know, like they're just, the volume wasn't there. Right. So I was like, man, if I can get a location with like more volume, this, this stuff could start to make sense here. And that's kind of, so I did that for, you know, a month or two and then I landed a new location and that location did really well. It did like a thousand bucks in the first month. That's kind of what's opened my eyes to like, wow, you can actually make some money. And then I went in another location. It was actually a, a motel like a month later. And that one did like 800 bucks the first month. And then it did 1200 bucks. And I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. Cause it was only one machine. I bought the machine for super cheap on Craigslist. I really didn't know what I was getting into. I, I knew there was a lot of people going to these locations, but I, I didn't really know the type of volume it could do. Man, that's awesome. So these are all like rented machines. You don't, there's no like leasing or crazy things you have to do from big brands or anything like that. Yeah, no. So, so when I was first starting out, I was buying all my stuff off Craigslist offer up, right? So I 
would try and find deals. I'm very frugal in the sense where like, Hey, and I know how to like work on Craigslist and stuff like that. If I see something listed for a thousand bucks, I'll just go and, and talk to those people and start picking apart the machine, like saying like, Hey, here's what I have to do. So I'll just offer them cash, like 500 bucks, whatever. And a lot of times I'll get away with that. Now, since I'm a little bit bigger, I can't do that because I got to get specific machines, but that's what I used to do. Just buy, you know, machines that are on Craigslist, secondhand machines, and go install them. So you said when you get bigger, you have to get better machines. Is that like less maintenance, less headache, better reporting, or like what's the benefit? Yeah, yes and no. So kind of, I guess I kind of phrased that wrong. I have to get specific machines, okay? So like on Craigslist, like they, they're not just going to have everything I need, right? So now I have to go to like warehouses in LA where it's just like they have a bunch of machines and like I can handpick exactly what I need. And so you'll have to pay up for that. Right. And yeah. a lot of times they'll be like completely refurbished or a lot newer. So like, let's just say I get an assisted living place or something like that. And they need, and it's, it's a tight place and they need a combo machine. Okay. Well, if that combo machine, exactly the one that I need is not on Craigslist, well, then I'll have to go to these warehouses and do that. Hmm. All right. So I feel like we've got a lot to dive into. Yeah. Which angle do you want to attack first? I kind of want to do inventory. Inventory? Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Not a lot of people asking about that. I like it. I think the inventory thing is super, is super interesting because when you were breaking down that first location and you were like, I didn't have to go there hardly ever. I mean, my very first thought is how did you, how did you know that you didn't have to go there? So then I yeah. assume that there's like a digital payment platform that then tells you, you sold five Cokes, you have 35 left or something like that. And I mean, is that how that works? Yep. I would have never thought of that. That's crazy. So how do you keep inventory? <laughs> yeah. So it's a good question. And not a lot of people ask me this, which is interesting. But when you think about vending, you think about like your, your dad, or your grandpa, or, you know, whatever doing it and, and just having a machine that just collects cash. Right. But for me, one of the big sticking points was the technology advancements per se. Right. And what essentially what that means is on, because I have these credit card readers, it comes with a inventory management software as well. And essentially what that's doing is anytime somebody puts a dollar coin and swipes their credit card and they select a certain product, I'm able to see that on my computer, on my dashboard on a live basis. Okay. From a SKU level, from, you know, the, a monetary perspective. So if they use a credit card reader, it shows me that if they use a coin or and cash, it will show me that. So do you get like a ding, like ding, you sold a Coke or something? I don't have a setup like that. It's more like a robust, like reporting, like on my computer. Yeah. I'm sure you could. I just don't have that. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking about like, you know, have you seen the screenshots of people's phones where it's like, I just set up an e-commerce and, you know, Shopify sends you like a push notification every time you sold like a book or something. I mean, that'd get, that'd be, that'd be a lot at 30. That's like you and your quarters from the laundry machines. That'd be dope. (laughs) That'd be freaking sweet. Okay. It would be cool though. I'm doing right now, like I I'll do like, like 500 plus vends a day. So it would be kind of crazy, yeah, but that'd be a little. honestly, man, like this is like the game changer in vending, the, like the reporting side, like this helps from like a cash flow management perspective, like inventory management perspective. It allows me to do better accounting before people would just count cash. And then like, that's kind of how they did it. Like I'm pulling everything from my dashboard and so it makes it so much easier. So, I mean, this is like, that's really professional. I'm super into that. As you bring on new machines, do you have to add the software or is there like a blanket software that works with everything right now and it all comes preloaded? Like, how do you get it to work with yours? Yeah, so it's part of like, so I, I use a company called Niax. Anybody out there that are interested in this stuff, let me know. I, I have a discount code for you guys and get 7% off. Anyways, 
I use that company. So it's the credit card reader. And then they have the essentially VMS vending machine software attached to it. So it's all, all in one bundle. I pay nine bucks a month for that on a per machine basis. I buy my card readers in bulk. I was buying them for like 230, 250. Their newer stuff is like touchscreen. I think they're going for like 300, 330, something like that. So that's what they cost on a per machine basis. And, and that's how they all the tracking is comprised. That's crazy. Okay. So mm-hmm. you buy a machine, maybe it's 10 years old or something, and it doesn't have a credit card system on it. What do you do? You got to install it. Okay. Pretty easy. Really? Yep. So that's what I do for all my machines. I'll, I personally install them. Essentially, the newer stuff will have cutouts. Older stuff doesn't. You sometimes just have to drill into it. You put it like on the face of the machine. You attach the coin mech and the bill acceptor and then like to the control board. So it's like four wires. Once you've done it like three times, super easy. When I first did it, I had no idea what I was doing. So I was super resourceful. The guy that I bought the machine from, it's like, dude, I'll literally pay you $50 if you show me how to do this and let me record you do that. So anybody trying to you know get into vending and asking about credit card readers, be resourceful, go do that stuff. And then you'll just learn from there and, and then super crazy. I'm ready to go. <laughs> so I, I, I think I told you this in our like pre-recording conversation, but so at 23, like I was newly married and my wife and I, we went, it was like our six month anniversary of being married. So we went down to Mexico. It was like a surprise trip, went to Cancun. And I read for the first time in my life, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the book changed my life. You know, I remember distinctly, I'm drinking a mojito on the beach in Cancun, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And we get to the section about cash flowing assets or something like that. And I'm like, okay, what can I actually afford? Yeah. Vending machines. I can afford a vending machine. And I like, I was ready to come back and kill it. But then the part that I got stuck up on was the maintenance. Because I felt like I have no idea how to fix this thing. So... It, how do you fix these things? Like, what do you do and how often do you have to do? Yeah. That? Yeah. That's, that's a really good question. And, and what I would, would tell is that, like all the listeners and stuff like that, I didn't grow up changing my tires. Okay. On my car. And a lot of people, you know, whether or not they do or don't. So for me, the biggest learning curve wasn't the sales aspect for most people, the sales aspect, landing location. That's the hardest part for me. That's the easiest part. Okay. The hardest part for me is like studying the machines up. Right. And like, doing all that mechanical stuff. It's not robust, but just for me, I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. So from a fixing standpoint, what I always say is buy new offer low. Okay. So if you're buying newer machines, you shouldn't have a lot of problems. Okay. And I like to say they're like a new refrigerator. If you ever bought a refrigerator, like when's the last time you had to fix it? And the answer is like, not like pretty much ever. But the main thing that that is going to happen on these machines is where you're going to have problems is the the payment systems. And what I mean by that is the cash and the coin, right? That stuff is just inherently dirty. The other day I went to my machine and there was a coin stuck and like it had like bubble gum on it. Right. So like that would, that would destroy somebody's business if you're running cash and coin only. But since I have credit card readers, it didn't. Right. So when those things need to be fixed, typically what I'll do is I'll just replace the whole unit and then I'll go send the other unit to repair. If I can't figure things out, right. I'll try. You have to be very resourceful in this. Like there's not a robust like catalog of information on vending online, right. It's just, it just doesn't exist. So you'll have to call the manufacturer. Like if, if you can't figure something out, like call them for the program and stuff like that. If that doesn't solve the issue, then you can call suppliers and distributors in the area that, that work on these machines and just say, Hey, look, I'm having this problem with my machine. Can you come look at it? Like I'll pay you. 
right? Like, and you don't need to pay them a lot. It's like 50 bucks, whatever the number is, but that's typically how I'll, I'll handle the, the issues with the machines. So the manufacturers or the distributors actually have a service department that will come out and repair the machines. Kind of. So w- when I say that, like they're willing to do that stuff for, well, and, and like, let me caveat this. So when I, when I say manufacturers, like I have like a lot of Royal vending machines. Okay. So that's, that's the manufacturer for Royal. Okay. And then the next layer down is like the distributors. So like, that'll be the guy with like a giant warehouse full of these machines, right? He'll have Royals, but he'll also have a bunch of different machines, right? So that guy will have a ton of knowledge on like different stuff. So that's the type of guy where I can call him and he'll potentially come out if I pay him, right? The manufacturer, the problem with those guys, because I'm buying older equipment and new stuff, they don't want to play his ball as much. They, they want you to buy new stuff and buy directly from them. And then they'll, then they'll just open up and tell you whatever they want. So that's kind of like the caveat there. How much is new equipment? Like quite a bit, quite a bit. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's, you know, 5,000 plus for sure. Really? Okay. How yeah, often does the old equipment break down though? Like how often do you find yourself having to repair something? New, newer stuff? Never. I mean, it's like I said, it's like your fridge. I mean, there, there's a machine and, and there's one machine that I'll recommend to any new vendor it's called a closed face drink machine or a stacker, right? And, and it's those machines where it just has buttons on it and it just vends drinks, okay? So like you can't see in it, like it, you just press the button and it has a drink on top. That's what I recommend to all new vendors. There's literally no moving pieces to that thing, right? It's It just vends the drink and that's it. It's like a giant refrigerator. Super easy to manage. There's like six to eight SKUs on the, on the machine and that stuff never breaks down. So that's why I always recommend it to new, new people. What about the older equipment you have in service? Is there any... Like what's the routine maintenance look like on those? I mean, like I said, it's, it's just the payment stuff. So if the coin mech goes down, that's been my biggest thing. I'll just have to replace that. Other than that, I haven't had like refrigeration system problems, control board problems. Like when you think about it, like the pieces to a vending machine are refrigeration, the control board, the coin mech, the bill acceptor and the credit card reader. So like, like six things essentially. So it's not robust, right? Like it's just, and I haven't had problems with that other stuff. So. So what's like the logistics look like on that? I mean, are they, are they like a cell phone chip for the, the signal for these things? Or is that all things you have to work out with wherever you're placing them that you get, you know, electrical access, internet access and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So, so that's a really good question. To be honest with you, like I never really understood how these machines, how the credit card readers were syncing up like with my system, like, cause I would just place it. And then like all of a sudden I would just have signal. Like this works, so like I'm just not even gonna ask. <laughs> but kind of what I figured out eventually was that they're using wireless connection, and then if that doesn't work, then you can hook into the the company's Wi-Fi. All the places where I place mine, it, the signal just connects. So I'm assuming it's just everything's going through wireless. So I've been pretty lucky on that front, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm trying to think about this thing at scale, like like your mentor who had like 1,600 machines, which is crazy. And I'm I'm working against what you said that everyone should get the stacker. Yeah. So are there vending companies out there? Like if I wanted to go start a vending machine, it seemed like business. It seems like the easiest thing to do would be to find a way to only do stackers or, yes. or only do like one thing. So then you, you have all the maintenance parts, like everything's efficient from a repair standpoint, but then like you can dramatically reduce inventory cost because you're like buying in dramatic bulk versus all these different things. So is yep. that, is that the game? Yes. And no, it would just be dependent on your goals. Right. So like with limited inventory, like here's the reality situation. If you're selling 12 ounce sodas, it's a buck. Okay. Well, if I sell 
you know, a big bag of Takis, I could be selling it for two bucks. If I sell 20 ounce soda, I could, I could sell it for $2.50, right? So it really just depends on your goals. If your goal is ease and just super strong cash flow for a long time and just hire, eventually just hire somebody because the cash flow is so good just to run the stuff and like, like it's so easy that they can just look at the machine and know exactly what to put in. Then yeah, just do a route full of stackers. And, and that's ultimately what my mentor did when he first started out. Like he would just put stackers everywhere. But with that said, if you want to get into the big leagues and get into these big accounts, like let's just say you lay in a hospital. Okay. You can't just put a stacker, right? Like you got to put some stuff that like they're going to want. Like ultimately nurses aren't just sucking down 12 ounce Cokes. Okay. Like they're a little bit different consumer. So that that's something to consider as well. So if, if you want to keep it tight and just, you know, have a small business and do some substantial cash flow, do, do some stackers. If you want to make it into a big business, then you're going to have to do other things. So how many SKUs do you have now then between all your machines? Yes, that, that is a really good question as well. So on my glass-based drink machines, those things will have like, I think it's 45 SKUs, but it's not all different SKUs. Like, so I'll run like, you know, five, five columns of like Coke. And then, but what I do is all my snack machines will have pretty much the same inventory, right? And that's kind of how I manage my business. So like they'll all have like the same exact setup. And then if one certain product doesn't sell or a couple of products don't sell, then I'll start to adjust that based off like the location. But for the most part, like I'm pretty dialed in on my business and they all run the same stuff. So that's kind of how I get away with it. How often do you swap skew? You said you're pretty dialed in. How often do you like, man, this nutter, butter, mick, whatever, like isn't working? Like how often yeah. you make a industry wide shift? Often. Right. I would say at first, at first I was doing it quite a bit. Cause like you just had to figure out like what was going on. Like I didn't have somebody teaching me this. So I was just learning myself, but now it's pretty dialed in. Like I thought gum would work. It doesn't, it doesn't sell. So I'm recently changing that out. So, and then I would say the, the other thing that would cause me to change inventory is like if Costco or Sam's club just doesn't have the product. So like right now there's like a Gatorade shortage. Okay. Like there's no Gatorade, like literally for the past like two months. I honestly did not know that. Do either, does anyone here drink Gatorade? I don't either. <laughs> so like there's no stores just don't have inventory. They don't have it. So like I'll have to vend other, other things. That's crazy. Do you keep stock? Like obviously you keep in the vending machines, but you know, do you have additional stock to refill? Or do you kind of get that as demand needs? Yeah. So I was doing it based off demand. Okay. So, so here's my flow. So Wednesdays I'll prepack boxes. And basically what that means is I'll look at my inventory on my dashboard, build out an Excel sheet of the products that need to go in each bo- or like each machine. I'll get a box, like a, like a Tupperware, not Tupperware, but like, a, you know, you guys know what I mean, a box and I'll fill it up with products based off that machine. And then based off the inventory that I have in my garage, you know, if there's overflow from last week or, you know, whatever it may be. And then if I need to go buy more, then I'll go to Costco, Samsung business, bring that back, fill up the boxes and then leave the inventory at my site and then go make deliveries on Thursdays and Fridays. It's been spilling in a little bit fr- more into Fridays. I, I can do everything on Thursday. It's just a little bit too much and I like to have energy. So that, that's kind of my flow. That said, my business has accelerated quite a bit. And like I said, I, I well, I didn't tell you, I didn't tell the audience this, but I recently got a warehouse. It's not a big one. It's only 600 square feet. But the plan there is to have Costco business deliver the products okay so on wednesday okay that's sweet yeah a little bit a little bit more expensive so there's gonna be some margin compression but for me time is a little bit more valuable today at first it wasn't (laughs) but so because when i prepack boxes like that's time 
And then the next step is I got to go to Costco Sam's club and, and that's time. And when I say, when I go to Costco and Sam's club, I'm picking up like, like 70 cases of soda. Okay. It's like 20 <laughs> Cokes, like 15 Sprite, like 15 doctor, like a lot. Right. So it's number one, it's labor intensive. And number two, it's just time intensive. Right. So now what I'm going to be doing is having Costco deliver pallets of, let's just say like my bestseller Coke. Okay. So instead of having to go there and do that extra time, it's already there. And, and so that way I can cut down on things quite a bit. So is that, is that like a commercial thing that Costco does or does cost, is this just like a Costco will deliver like to me and you're just taking advantage of that program? Yeah. You, you need to have a commercial space, but yeah. So it's just so that their trucks can enter and leave. It's like right now I, I previously was running out of my garage. That is no longer happening. So before they like, they wouldn't just deliver to my garage. Man, this is awesome. So what kind of size does it take of that, you know, of any company to move up the supplier food chain? So let's say you're at wholesalers right now. Nice. How much do you have to, how big do you think you'd have to be to actually go and say, I want to negotiate with Coca-Cola, like directly with one of their distributors. Like a direct distributor. Yeah. 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 So, so there's no, there's no negotiation with those guys, but here's what happens once you get to, to size. So like if you get to like 20 machines, you can actually do deals with these guys where they'll give you free machines. We have to buy inventory for them. So you can't negotiate the inventory by inventory. I mean, buy sodas from them. Okay. So they'll charge more for these sodas, but they'll give you these brand new machines for free. Okay. With like contract lengths or, or any, like what are the strings attached aside from higher? Beverage yeah. I don't, I don't know everything because I don't personally do that. But what I do know based off what other vendors tell me is like, look, if you, if you're doing a deal of Coke and you're doing, or if you're doing a deal of Pepsi and they give you a, let's just say they give you a Coke machine, you're supposed to be vending Coke products only. You deal with Pepsi, you're supposed to be vending Pepsi products only. I don't like to do that stuff because I don't like to be limited. I like to sell Coke, I like to sell Pepsi, I like to do whatever I want, right? Secondly, you have to buy a set amount of inventory from these guys. So if they're giving you a bunch of machines, well, then you got to buy a bunch of products from them, okay? And you got to push that product. For me, like, look, I, I can bootstrap this whole thing and I don't need them breathing down my neck to do this. So that's kind of why I haven't done that route. You know, if I land an account that needs 100 machines, let's just say I win a gov- government account and needs like, 150 machines. Okay. Well then, you know, maybe I don't want to stretch my capital like that and I'll just get machines from them and, and do it that way, that route. That's really interesting. Yeah. I was wondering what that looks like. Cause you see those big, what are those things called? You know, the Coke machines. Now they have like fancy buttons and everything. Yeah. And they're like a million dollars, but they give them to you <laughs> with the contingency that you have to yeah. use all of their product. I mean, I'm into and, it. And it's it like, makes sense. Yeah. Some crazy term I would assume. But that's how they do it with like restaurants and stuff. Like yeah. they, they'll give you the whole, They'll, they'll set up the drink situation. They'll set up the stuff in the basement or the back room or whatever. They'll do all the piping, but then you have to shove Pepsi or Coke product. Hmm. Yeah, mean, it's, I'm, it's I'm an interesting it. model. I think once you get big, it's probably pretty smart to do. Like my mentor, he's like starting a new business of vending as well. And he's just like acquiring routes. And I mean, so he's linked up with Pepsi. So he gets all the machines from Pepsi. So like if he buys a route that's like doing X dollars and you can like optimize it by just putting newer machines and better products and a credit card reader and stuff like that. And let's just say the route has like 50 machines on it. Well then like it's no sweat off his back. Like you get a bunch of machines from Pepsi mm-hmm. and then you're off to the races. So for me, it's like a little bit different, but yeah. Do you think I'm thinking about, so if I wanted to go start a vending company, this seems like sort of the, like we lease vehicles. Because it's the easy yep. button. I can press a button and I can like the send button on an email. <laughs> and then we get like a truck. It's wrapped. It's, it's like done. It's, re- it's ready to put in service. So to me, that sounds mm-hmm. like 
the lease truck version of vending where you can just like, hey, I need a machine here, you know, fully stocked. Can you just sort of go do it? Well, I mean, essentially you're, you're going to need like to have a business set up, right? Like you can't just have like, I mean, there's some requirements. I think it's like they want you to have a couple years of experience. I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I don't okay, do it. So I don't sense. know all the pipings. But yeah, if you were to start a vending business, I would just say like, go get a machine off like Craigslist or buy it from like a warehouse, like where it's a little bit cleaner. Like you don't have to do as much and they'll kind of do all that. And then you go place the machine and then like you learn from there. And, and like, I, I think the biggest thing is like in vending, like it's not a huge risk. So if this sounds exciting to you, like go try it. Like don't sounds ask questions. Just literally just go land a location, go try it. And if it fits in your schedule and you like it and you want to make it bigger, then go do that. If, you, if it doesn't and it sucks and you don't like it, then sell the location. Like the appetite is extremely strong for this stuff. So it's like, you're not going to have a, a huge issue. If you get a location with a machine, you're going to be able to sell it. Like that's just the bottom line. So what is the attraction to the business owner where you're placing that machine? You know, if I'm the business owner and you came to me and said, hey, I want to put a machine here or how does that, you know, what does that look like? What's the benefit to me versus you? Yeah. So, so like the way I do it is, is it's a value add, right? Like I'll keep my products pretty cheap for them and add value to their business, right? So like the way I look at it is like, if you're a hotel and you have this place, right? If I can charge really cheap products and like improve your customer stay by a little bit, like that's going to be a win versus, you know, if I have to charge up a little bit and, and provide commissions, it doesn't really affect your business that much, like in regards to like revenue. So that, that's kind of the value add there. I'm into that. I'm into that. How do you pick a location? Like I'm thinking about what, like as in what makes for a good location, not necessarily how exactly you pick it, but like what's an ideal location. If I'm walking down the street, I should be like, hell yeah, I need to walk in there. Yeah. So, so it's a couple of things, at least for me, the way I bet is like, at the end of the day, it's, it's a conversion game, right? So like how many people can you convert on your machine? So I'm looking for a number of people. So let's just say you're doing an apartment you want a number of people, the type of people. So I like to vend low income. So that's demographics, right? And then location of your machine, right? So I'm always looking for a, a centralized access point. So they just walk in that apartment building and then they all go up an elevator, the same elevator to their rooms, right? And then I'll put my machines right next to those elevators. And I told you this before, but it's a, a breakfast, lunch, and dinner location, right? So mm-hmm. if you have your machine in, a, in that laundry room, even if it has 500 people, you're only converting those 500 people one time a week. That's not good, right? You want to convert those 500 people. Let's just say you can only convert 10% of them. Right. But they walk by it three times a day. So now you're converting 30%. Now you got a big business. How many people is good? (laughs) It's a good question. If I'm looking at like a business, I would say what most vendors should be looking for is like 50 plus employees. That that, that would would constitute like being a a good location. So I I have a location where it has that and it's doing about 450, about 500 bucks a month. Okay. So that, that would be considered good. All right. Yeah more robust like what i personally look for now is a lot more than that like i'm looking for big apartment buildings 150 200 plus units Mm -hmm. it's kind of what i look for okay i mean 50 seems small to me yeah just not that many people but i guess they're there a lot so maybe it's like that breakfast lunch and dinner like they're they're constantly seeing it so maybe you have that one guy who like every day at 11 30 buys a three musketeers and a coke or something (laughs) Like that was me. And, and, and that there, was literally, there is that, I, I think that happens a lot for me. Like, yeah. I, I don't know exactly who my customers are, but I'd have to assume that like one guy just goes down and buys like the whole lot. And like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So like when you're targeting spots, is it like, I mean, the, the mechanic thing kind of makes sense. Like I get, that sounds like it would be good, right? Cause you have retail customers, you have the techs. 
So is that the normal type of workplace or is it like a machine shop or is it like an office building? Yeah. So that's a good question. The, the, the areas that I target, I target three places. So assisted living, low income, and then hotels and then budget motels. Okay. The thing is like, once you start getting into hotels, budget motels, stuff like that, there's a lot of competition. The biggest company in the space is called Canteen and they essentially own that space quite robustly. So those are harder to get. Any new vendor, I'd, I would say go check out assisted living. Like that's a space you want to play in. If you get those locations and you place, let's just say like five machines that are used to in 500 bucks, well then the business starts to become pretty profitable and, and, and pretty nice. So that, that's what I'd recommend. Yeah. Okay. And in, you've brought up assisted living a couple of times. And the question that keeps popping up into my head is if we're putting a machine into an assisted living facility, are we targeting the staff of the assisted living or the residents? Yes. Yeah, staff. So, so that's okay. why specifically assisted, assisted living, not senior living. Seniors do not consume sodas like you think they would. They eat a lot of candy. They eat a lot of candy, but they use a lot of coins, which is not my favorite. Like I have a pretty big senior home and I'm pulling like big bags of coins. So it's just kind of annoying. But anyways, I mean, yeah, you'd so feel we're like a baller for the employees. Though, right? Like that bag of coins. Like you'd feel kind of cool. I would feel cool. <laughs> you do, but the only problem is with me, I have to go do the route. So it's like your back's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I say assisted living just because like there's a break room, right? It's, it's very, it's very defined, right? You're vending to the staff members. And when you do these combo machines, they're very quick machines. Like right now I can do, I can literally fill my machine in like 20 minutes, like once a week. So that is very easy to me. Some of my bigger stuff where like they're completely sold out might take me an hour to do the machine, right? It's just like a lot of like figuring out. So that's why I say assisted living is like the really good for, for beginners. Yeah, I can dig that. And I'm envisioning like the break room in the office where like they walk in and they always have lunch there and there's like five machines there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, that's that kind of where, that's kind of where vending is trending and this is kind of what my mentor does, but it, it's like he does vending machines, but like it's going over to, I think on my first million podcast, I said honesty markets, but essentially what it is is like, I don't know if you guys ever worked at a WeWork, but like they have this like open like kitchen basically. And like, there's a bunch of products like sandwiches and all that stuff. And then there's a kiosk and you just scan it. And that's how you essentially pay for it. There's no attendant or anything like that. So like, yeah, these bigger office buildings, that's where things are trending towards. And there's a lot of money in that. Cause like a sandwich, the average order value on a sandwich, or like, let's say you get a sandwich, like a chip and a, and a drink, or you might be spending 12 bucks, right? So your business is a lot bigger and you don't have an attendant or anything like that. So that's where stuff is trending. Yeah, I'm into it. Do you think you'll ever do that? No. <laughs> I purely view vending as a bridge to create that cash flow, you know, dip my toe into entrepreneurship, and then I'm going to go build other things. Like I said, I'm going to have somebody come stock my machines pretty soon here. I'm going to hire somebody. So that will free up a ton of time. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually I'll, I want to get it to the point where I'm not even touching the business and then I'm just doing other things. That's what I would like to do. All right. And I, like, we're for sure going to dive into what comes next. But before we, before we touch on that, both in this conversation and in the last one, one of the things I just thought was, has been interesting to me is you directly compare real estate to vending, like yep. very directly. So I, I would just want to <laughs> dive into that philosophy a little bit more. Cause I think it's interesting and I think it relates to what, like what you're probably going to be looking at next. Yeah, 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 for sure. So like, you know, when I, when I was first starting out, I was just like, Hey, how do I create like a bunch of cash flow? Everybody wants to get into real estate, right? Like everybody just has a strong appetite for real estate, but also like if you want to invest in real estate and get a strong cash flow, 
Like you got to invest out of state, if, especially if you're in California. And that's just something that I, I didn't have a lot of control on. So I was always just comparing. It's like, Hey, I just literally bought this machine for $300 at this hotel location. I put a credit card reader on it. So I was like 250 inventory is like 250. I got it moved for a hundred bucks. So let's just say the machine all in cost me a thousand bucks. Okay. The first month it grossed $800. The second month it grossed 1200 bucks and at 65% margins, I got this vending machine for a thousand bucks and I'm comparing it to my piece of property in, in San Diego where it's only spinning off and making me 700 bucks a month. It's like, wow, this is a no brainer. So that's yeah. kind of how I was doing it. It's interesting. Once you get to scale, it's a little, you view it a little bit different, but for all new people, I, that's, I think it's a good take. Yeah. I, I think I like it too. I own real estate. Just, we have an apartment built we have two apartment buildings and then some duplexes and a single. And it's just such a mature market and there's, it's so easy to lend against. So multiples will high, like you get just very little out of it, you know, like, like you just said. And I don't know, like a lot of pain to it. <laughs> yeah. There's just a lot of pain to it versus for me, I, I, I compare it directly to our operating companies where like, yeah, there's a lot of pain, but the reward is high. Like real estate is like a lot of pain and there's just a lot of pain. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And it's something else to know. This is kind of funny line. This guy, Todd, says this on Twitter. A snaker is never never late on rent, right? It always pays his rent. Nice. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. All right. So, I mean, obviously we're going to like go start a vending machine business now. Like, right? Like same page? Okay. Yeah, sure, man. Build that thing in public and like it would be a really cool like after thing to the podcast, like build it up and yeah. show everybody you guys can actually do it. Like, it's not that hard. <laughs> I, I think it would be interesting. I think the the downside for us is just because of the other activities we're involved in. Like it sounds like fun and it sounds cool. It's just the other activities we're involved in are unfortunately more rewarding. So then it's yeah. like, I don't know if our time could be efficiently used doing it without going like, sure. we'd, we'd need to go in at a hundred units, like it, off the rip, which is probably really difficult. <laughs> figure that out. Yeah, we'll figure I, I dig it. Yeah, no, yeah, you're hundred percent right. Okay, so speaking of scale and speaking of like next, like what are you up to next? You're using this thing as a bridge and to get to other stuff. What is it? Yeah, so I recently started a, a coffee company and my thinking personally is that internet money is the best money. If I can click my mouse button and, and send out advertising to millions of people online and sell products, like that's kind of magical. So, and I understand like this business is going to take quite a long time and it's probably not going to make a lot of money right away. It's just something that I always wanted to do. So I have a, a coffee company that's related to golf. It's called Fairway Coffee Co. So I'm building that right now. And then in regards to like SMBs and stuff like that, I'm still heavily interested in real estate. I just feel that it's quite expensive for the return. So I, I just have been focusing on SMBs instead. And kind of what I'm looking at right now is, is la- coin op laundry mats, right? So I want the ability to be able to go into this thing and, you know, slap a website on, you know, do some SEO and, improve the health of the business and then win some commercial accounts and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I'm looking at right now. And I think the most interesting thing about me personally is my love for cold calling. (laughs) I actually really like cold calling. Okay. And my business partner does as well. We just come from that school and we each, you know, in total, we have about 200,000 cold calls under our belts. So when the way we find these deals is like, we don't see it on biz by sell. I never see the deal that I like on biz by sell or, or whatever other side that you look to buy companies. And when I don't see those, I just pick up the phone and start calling them. So that's kind of what I've been doing recently. 
been cold calling these laundromats and talking to owners and we've been doing our due diligence on on a few so that's pretty much the next thing that works i love this so much i love everything about it <laughs> so so we went through a laundromat interest for like, yeah for like a month ago and we talked to an owner so there was a guy and it came up on biz by sell or something and he was divesting three of them so i was like oh okay. hell yeah we're gonna talk to this guy so, so we go and talk to him we didn't end up getting it for a variety of reasons but one of the things I was fascinated by was the multiples paid on laundromats and also the complete lack of any, like really anything. Like these are total coin operated. If you yep. ask for financials, they'll like either look at you funny or hand you a spreadsheet. And it's like, so how do you analyze it? Like what, what are you doing to look over these deals? Yeah, it's so funny you say it because that is so true. Like, that's what we're doing right now. Like essentially you got to do like a coin count, like a, like a 90 day due diligence coin count. Like, hey, you got to see like what's coming in, and, and and like that's a pain in the ass, right? Yeah. And so I heard that's some people what we're doing measure now. the water. They yeah. look at the water yeah, bill yeah. at over like a year, and apparently that tells you something. That's crazy. I haven't found the perfect strategy to be honest with you. Like, some operations run better than others, some don't. So, like, I'm still going through that process. What I can tell you though is like our our main goal is like we want something that's you know netting you know about like 60 to 100 a year and then we're like with lock-in business and then we're gonna we're pretty confident in our ability to cold call so we're gonna layer that in with the commercial business so potentially do these assisted living homes or their laundry and stuff like that and that's where we think we can increase that noi and then essentially you know make the business a whole lot more valuable all right i like this a lot so one of the things i came up on when I started looking into laundry was like lending. Okay. So do you have to buy these things in cash or are there lending options for buying laundromats? A lot of owner financing, to be honest with you. Okay. So yeah, a lot of owner financing. Some will do more, some will do less. Like the guy we're talking to right now, he's willing to do like 50%, which is, I would say pretty high. And then the company before that, they were only willing to do like a little bit you know, less. And so a lot of owner financing and then, in regards to like raising capital and stuff like that, I'm kind of fortunate where I have a little bit of a Twitter following. So, and I, I'm building in public so people see that. And then so people are interested in investing as well. So, you know, I'll reach out to my network and stuff like that. And they want to invest in these business ventures with me, then, then we can do that. Or I, or I can just use my own capital. I mean, I think the biggest thing in laundry is like, you don't own a lot of these, you're not buying the real estate. So the deals are a little bit you know, they're not as expensive, right? So looking at one that's like 250K, right? It's like if he's owner financing it 50% and then you get a, a partner to go in with you, like it's, it's pretty manageable. Like I'm not buying a $5 million business. So that's why we're doing it right now. So what in that specific deal, like what is the expected earnout for it? Yeah, good question. So we're, we're still doing the due diligence on it, to be honest with you. Like the guy bought it for somebody else and like just didn't have the numbers on it. He was saying it was doing 400K gross. And then we're looking at the net and it's like only netting like 60K a year. So there's some type of discrepancy there. The multiple on it is pretty low. In my opinion, it's, you know, he's asking like 250, we can probably get him down to 200. So I think the first one, like the main goal is like make some money. So like, I don't know, let's just say it's me and my buddy who's the operator. Well, let's just say him and I do that. So make a couple thousand bucks a month each on it. But I would say the biggest thing is the learning aspect, right? And that's the same thing in vending. Like, the, the learnings from this stuff is like way more money that like, it's just worth more to me than like even the money that's, that's made. Right. Cause now I know what to exactly look for in these laundromats. And like, now I can buy a really profitable business as opposed to some chump one or whatever. So that, that's kind of how we view it. Yeah. And then I think in our, in our 
previous conversation, you had mentioned that car washes were on the like sort of of interest to you. And I yeah. think, is it an intentional strategy? Because these are all real estate geographic location businesses. I just think that they're all interesting. Like they're all cash focused real estate businesses. Yeah. Was that the goal or is that just like what you're into? It's not the goal. I, I would say the, the biggest thing for me is like the potential semi passive like route, right? So like with the vending machines, like I don't have to be there all the time. So I like point out laundromat, like we potentially have to be there all the time. Right. And you're not managing a lot of people. It's all like machine focused. So you have your headaches there as well. But I just feel like that for some reason that just attracts me. It, it allows me to feel more free essentially. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause as you know, like running businesses, like you're, you're managing employees and stuff like that. And it's like, like, Hey, can you go on vacation? Like, I don't know. You just need to build up the systems for that. So that, that's my attraction to it with the car wash, you know, that involves a lot of times real estate. So like a coin op car wash, right? Like you might have to buy the real estate, but I like that aspect where it's like coin op. So if I can upgrade in and start doing credit card readers instead of coins, the business is a little bit more healthy. And then if I can add a couple more things and then, then, you know, we got, we got some traction. Yeah. I'm into it. So the whole idea is sort of a passive approach to cash flow. What are some other businesses that fit? Yeah. Passive. Yeah. Big, yeah. Big air quotes. I mean, what, what are some other businesses that fit that characteristic? Well, I would say like number one is the self storage. I mean, like Nick oh, yeah, Huber, sure. startup, he crushes it. I mean, I think the biggest like light bulb moment for me was like when he, when he starts when he, when he was talking about that stuff. It's like you're you're buying real estate, which I, which I like, right? Because you you have a lot of equity and stuff like that, and you can use that leverage for things to buy things. But ultimately, it, it's a business, right? So like if you can use like your expertise and skills to do things that other people are not doing you can make this business very valuable. And, and then you have this piece of real estate, which is, I love. Whereas like, if you just buy real estate alone, you don't have that business as- aspect. So it's, you don't have as much potential. So I, I would say s- storage units would be pretty high on that list. And then I would say like, at the end of the day, I, I ultimately want to own like triple net stuff. You know, if I just want to wipe my hands clean of everything and just get a mailbox check, like that would be ideal. I talked to this guy Last year, he was a cool guy. We should probably have him on the pot at some point. But he bought he bought a random building up in Cleveland, and it was like an old church. And he raised the money to do it, and it was in an opportunity zone. So they got all this like crazy, you know, tax incentives, which was awesome. So he he bought this property with like completely other people's money. I think he put in like twenty thousand dollars out of two million. And they like they remodeled it and they made it this like sort of multi tenant commercial property that he signed the lease for every unit and put an operating business. So he has like seven operating businesses in real estate that he controls, but never had to pay for. It was, (laughs) it was fascinating. So he put in like a rock wall and he put like all this very geographically focused stuff, but there are, it's, you know, employee light, but there are employees, I think it was like a coffee shop and it was all these little random businesses, but he controlled and owned all the businesses and controlled the real estate without a, a ton of, he has equity in it, but not like a ton. I love hearing stories like that. Just like people doing interesting stuff. I think it's super cool. I mean, things you guys do, like that, that's a beautiful thing about Twitter is like you get to meet like these people that are just doing like these incredible things. Like they seem dumb and they seem super simple, but then like nobody else is doing it. So like that just makes it incredible and, and yeah. all in itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think like recently we're getting into septic. So we have a, we're closing on a septic company in like eight days from now. And I think there's probably another one next year. And like septic is like, 
whoever thinks about septic or whoever talks about septic, but the characteristics of a septic business, it's like automatic, like reoccurring, not recurring, but reoccurring revenue. Like you have to go out every quarter or every six months to the same place, pump the same thing. And so it's heavy asset reoccurring revenue. And it's awesome. It's not employee life, yeah. but it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it, man. And I mean, you guys are hustling hard and like major props you get. And like, as you know, like taking on these businesses with like heavy employee focus, like it's, it's another beast. So major props to you guys. Yeah. Ma- major props to you, Brandon. Thanks. <laughs> Keep it up. All right. Well, we've pretty much gone through most of our list. This was awesome having you on here. And I'm super excited to keep watching this. And now I'm really excited to convince Rand to launch a vending machine business. <laughs> there we go. I yeah. love it. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Look at Lone Mom and get going. Yeah. So if, if people want to find out more about you or stay along with what you're doing, where do they find you? Yeah. So you guys can hit me up on Twitter, Quinn J. Miller, Q U I N N, and then J and then Miller. Pretty simple. I, I tweet a lot about my business. And, you know, the main goal isn't to like flaunt or anything like that. It's just to show you guys that there's there's another path. And, you know, I know, I know a lot of real estate guys think vending is stupid, but there is a path. And, you know, ultimately, I do want to get into real estate. So, there's that caveat, but yeah, hit me up and I'm more than happy to help you guys along this journey. And, and yeah, man, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on today, Quinn. All right, guys. Thanks so much. 